When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus. Stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. It's very difficult to keep the line between the past and the present. Do you believe that someone out of the past can enter and take possession of a living being? We may be through with the past, but the past is not through with us. Welcome back to The Next Picture Show, a movie of the week podcast devoted to a classic film and the way it's shaped our thoughts on a recent release. I'm Tasha Robinson, here again with... Scott Tobias. Keith Phelps. Genevieve Kosky is absent from this pairing in this timeline, but in many other timelines, she did join us for this episode. So if you want to hear what she thought about this pairing... Wait, did I already say all that in this timeline? I thought this was the timeline where I saved that gag for this half of the podcast. Oh, damn. Multiverses are so confusing. On last week's episode, we talked about Krzysztof Kieslowski's Blind Chance, one of his early transition points from realistic films about politics to heady conceptual films about life philosophy. In that film, we see three radically different lives play out for one young Polish man in the 1970s, each depending on whether he successfully catches a given train on a given day. The characters in the film that we're bringing in this week, Daniel Scheinert and Daniel Kwan's Everything Everywhere All at Once, have lived out a lot more lives in the branching realities of infinite timelines. The protagonist, Evelyn, played by martial arts master Michelle Yeoh, only learns that's true when someone reaches out to her to save the multiverse, which has been threatened by a monstrous evil. Given the thousand domestic problems she's already facing, with her lonely husband, her disaffected daughter, her judgmental father, the looming IRS audit of the laundromat they run, and her general discontent with life, being asked to save every possible universe is just another irritating chore to manage until she finds out what that monstrous evil is, and the alternate lives she gets to tap into if she's going to fight it. I'll be upfront here. For me, at least, this is the most surprising movie since The Matrix in terms of the way it unpacks and fractures reality, and in terms of the way the story unfolds, with new comedic or dramatic revelations every few minutes. This movie is a lot. A lot of big heavy ideas, a lot of silly and breathtaking martial arts action, and just a lot to take in, given its breakneck pace and its immense ambition. I really recommend seeing it before you listen to us talk about it, because we are not going to be able to avoid spoiling things that are best experienced in the moment. Everything Everywhere All at Once is a pretty unique experience, much like the Daniel's previous feature collaboration, Swiss Army Man, which was unlike anything you're ever likely to see on the screen from anybody else. But are people ready to have their minds blown and their understanding of the universe rewritten around a family drama slash martial arts comedy? We'll talk about that after this break. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. This is Wang. This is Wang. Mrs. Wang, are you with us? I am paying attention. Now you may only see a pile of receipts, but I see a story. I can see where this story is going. It does not look good. Of them from another universe. I'm here because we need your help. 
Very busy today. Uh, whole time to help you. Across the multiverse, I've seen thousands of Evelyns. You can access all their memories, their emotions, even the skills. There's a great evil spreading throughout the many verses. And you may be your only chance of stopping it. Don't make me fight you. I am really good. I don't believe you. So, everything everywhere all at once. What do you make of that exactly, guys? <laughs> it's a lot. It is a lot, as you as you say. Uh, no, I'm I I did like it quite a bit, and it reminded me. I saw a screening, you know, a few days ago out in public at the haunted landmark theater of the damned. It, you know, and I've seen many sleepy Sunday night screenings at that place where it's me and a smattering of other people just sort of glowering at whatever whatever was playing on the screen. But just it was a complete... scene. This is a art house multiplex, a pretty nice one too, in the middle of a dead mall in yeah. the middle of a, a, of a weird But it's also kind of Chicago. like an Escher, but it's like an Escher painting, the design yes. of the, the design of the place, which actually kind of suits. So many stairs. It kind of suits this movie well in terms of like the general look of the place. In any case, it was, I would say, you know, from this just random audience, which was quite robust, the film did did well, and it was it was pretty very crowded for a Sunday night at the Landmark Theater of the Damned. I don't know if I've experienced quite a reaction to a new movie like that out in the in the wild since since maybe like being John Malkovich, like the critic screening of being John Malkovich was is one I always remember as being just of just complete uh, you know of an original film just completely busting up, and everything everywhere all at once has that quality of just of constant surprise of great boisterous comedy and wild ideas and you know it's just you know i mean i don't know it is not the most refined vision i think <laughs> i think you have to kind of accept that it is going to be a little all over the place that it's going to be kind of throwing a lot of punches there's some wobbliness in the, in, in the pacing and i think a certain amount of an almost kind of a narrowing towards a, a semi-trite i would say conclusion uh though not wholly trite there's also a lot of lovely things about the way it ends too uh, I don't know. There's a. It's just a ton of movie to unpack, and, and one that I, I feel so woefully ill-equipped to talk about after only seeing it once. Um, so I, I I was really happy with this film. What what do you think, Keith? I think it's great. I I, I delighted in seeing it. I gave it four stars at the review, and I, I kind of wonder if maybe I underrated it even. Uh, that said, I think everything you point out, it is. It's in some ways a wearying experience. I mean, it is just so much. It's yeah. everywhere, <laughs> everything, everywhere, all at once. It's it's uh, you know one idea thrown at you after another. One, you know, one timeline jumping from one timeline to the next. You know, it is it is a long film, and I almost kind of wonder if it would have been even more effective if it had been tightened up a little. But whatever. I, well, these are minor complaints against just this really joyously imaginative and I think thoughtful vision. I, I think I don't know if trite's the right word. It it does kind of narrow down to all these big questions and all the these you know the multiverse and, and all the philosophical issues being raised where the film kind of pushed aside to you know i don't want to say just say the love is the answer but but there's something to that and it but it does it in a really meaningful way i don't know i i'm i'm looking forward to seeing it again uh too much to process in one viewing but i, I did enjoy the one viewing i had yeah i was really curious how it was going to play for me on a second viewing because i was a little afraid that it being so much based in surprises and and reveals and new information and and constant unfolding that it would dull a little on second viewing but if anything i thought it was even more fun the second time through in part because i got to see it with an audience the second time through and like the just like listening to their response feeling their response this is a movie that goes with just like breakneck speed from some very silly visual gags to very serious, heady philosophical moments, and then right back again uh, mm -hmm. on, on numerous occasions. But I'm thinking of one in particular where I got to hear an entire theater bust up laughing and then go dead silent and then bust up laughing again a second later. And I just I love that response. But the whole movie is like that. I think it's fascinating the degree to which this movie sparks a kind of like 
a whiplash response without ever feeling, for me at least, like that problem that we talk about in terms of tonal whiplash, like these things don't fit together. This is a movie that just wants to have its cake and eat it too in a thousand different dimensions, a thousand different kinds of cake. And yet for me, it all fits together just like so neatly, so thoughtfully, with so much care. You know, there's big, stupid, crass jokes and uh, a guy in a martial arts fight with no pants on and his his genital area blurred out, (laughs) desperately trying to (laughs) stick something up his butt for, you know, plot reasons. And then there's also just like, you know, the the philosophy of the the existence of humanity and and why human connection makes it meaningful, you know, and in the same film. And yet it all worked for me. I, I think this film is masterful. I, I think it would take a miracle for this not to end up being my favorite film of the year. Oh wow. So it's that it's that level. Okay. Yeah. No, I I, I, I can see potentially having that reaction to seeing it a second time just so you know i because now i kind of know what to expect though though i will miss experiencing some of those moments for the first time and being surprised with them you know you can only experience raccoon tui the first time once and and you you know you can only experience the genital fight scene you can only experience the the fanny pack fight scene for the which is just maybe the my favorite sequence of the whole film in terms of just filmmaking you can only experience that for once, but I do think there's a lot to sort out here too, and 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 you see it in the. I've seen people have such a personal reaction to it. I don't know if you all read Walter Chaw's review of it. You know, it was, it was one that the one of the directors had kind of cited on Twitter as as being one that was very meaningful to him. But Walter wrote quite a bit about his own story. It was a very very personal piece about his own history as as the. You know, child of Chinese American, you know, immigrants and and his estrangement from his parents and all of that stuff, kind of came into play, you know, into this you know sort of essayistic review, and you you just see you feel like like it's a film that you know deserves you know a review of that kind, and is the type of film that would evoke those kinds of emotions in the audience particularly a specific you know sector of, of an audience that might identify it even with it you know you know more more than any of us might i think in keeping with the the movie's just like immense grab bag of of different selections of stuff it's a story that can be appreciated for its specificity as an immigrant story and just appreciated in a very universal way as a story about Failed potential and disappointments. Uh, Evelyn, one of the things that Evelyn is navigating is that she kind of ran away to America. I'm assuming America. I'm not sure we get a very specific time and place. It's Chicago. Is it Chicago? Ah, I definitely Chicago specifically. It it just was, but I was like, I I thought "Mm, this doesn't look like Chicago. I know, but okay. Are we positive that they didn't somehow like jury rig the the digital prints? So just whatever city you're in, that's the city that they came and lived in. <laughs> that's going to be like a new I, I thing, isn't it? You're you're inventing something that's going to actually happen. They're going to start localizing backdrops of movies. I regret to tell you that some aspect of that has already happened with specifically with product placement, like localizing <sighs> product placement for different digital All copies. Right, let's move of on films. to less something less well, depressing. But I want to talk about how. In Dayton, Ohio, there was an <laughs> edit of We Built This City that took out the references to San Francisco and edited in references to Dayton, Ohio. And I can't imagine this is the only radio market that did that. So, oh, you know, Star- wow, Starship right. was years ahead of its time. Yeah, yeah, there we go. So, but my point being that you can appreciate this for, for like very specific messages about what it's like to be like a small business owner, first generation immigrant who thought the land of opportunity was going to be different, who thought like your romance with a certain person was going to be different, who's navigating like parental disappointment from people who expected to be more respected and and to have more control of your life than they ended up having. But you can also just take it as like a big universal story about, you know, parents and children about the way parents mess children up without meaning to about the difficulty of emotionally connecting in a in a meaningful way with children when they're in that period 
you know, past adolescent rebellion and on into they're their own people now. Like, what is your place uh, regarding them? They're just it strikes me as there being a whole lot of messages here about the choices we make and the choices that we have to drop along the way. The fact that Evelyn is in some ways like the most powerful multiverse traveler there is specifically because she's failed at so many things. <laughs> I, I think it's just like a brilliant little piece of uh, of philosophy there. It's explained why it makes sense within the, uh, you know, the science fiction of the movie. But the message there is like you hey, in the audience who may feel like a failure for the things you haven't done. Those failures just make you even more powerful. Like that's a that's a pretty kind message, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And may, maybe I don't know. It's, there's something about this. It may, maybe the fact that the Russo brothers are involved in producing it. There's something it, it almost feels like some sort of reverse engineered version of a marvel movie or you're trying to like somehow a, a gateway ba- from the multiplex back into the art house or something that's been designed here maybe that maybe that's it of just like you know it having this you know making someone special for the fi- things that they haven't been able to accomplish that they for their their failure i mean that's that's the opposite of a marvel film marvel film is is about characters who just who discover uh, that they have these incredible uh, gifts that nobody else has, and so this is this all uh, this whole thing feels like some weird mirror image of that. I forget is this the one where Michael Keaton shows up as the vulture, or is that a different movie we saw? Oh recently? man, <laughs> <sighs> what a good <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. So yeah, good one. L- while you're while you're making little sarcastic like film references, I I want to just kind of take a moment to recognize how many movies this movie references you know yes. there's the the raccoon uh joke <laughs> a yeah. very extended joke that you mentioned but there's also you know this is a movie that visually quotes 2001 a space odyssey in uh, a couple of different sequences one of which is about the formation of an entire kind of like side universe where people have hot dog hands it's the you know the big cosmic flash of her multiverse life at the end is also meant to be a a direct representation of uh 2001 a space odyssey but this is also a movie that has lines that are effectively very slight shades on i know kung fu and come with me if you want to live there's the the giant bagel is basically a a douglas adams motif kind of thing Mm -hmm. um the Daniels came to Chicago for screenings and, and Q&As, and I moderated one at Chicago's River East uh, Theater, and I had a chance to kind of talk to them like out in the hallway beforehand. And one of the things they talked about was the earliest version of this movie had a lot more kind of quoting of, of Charlie Kaufman um, specifically yeah. as a director. There are a lot of influences and a lot of references in the here. For love as well. There's a whole very much a one car why version of this uh you know timeline or whatever in this film too so i asked them specifically if it was in the mood for love and they said it's it's not it's meant to be just one car why in general sure okay because yeah. i had that same i had the same response I, but either they said, way uh, yeah i mean happy together could be that way yeah they said if they if you ask their cinematographer they'll get very defensive about how like no no the the lighting and the coloration is completely different it's not just that one movie Fallen but yes Angels, yeah. it is unquestionably a, a Wong Kar Wai universe essentially yeah right I mean Wayman has that kind of tone, that tone of the young elegant look and those sequences that he super does not have <laughs> the rest of the time. <laughs> I think the Kaufman influence is still really felt, though. I, I kind of, in some ways, it sometimes played to me as kind of a rebuke in some ways of Kaufman's more recent films, hmm. which are kind of, you know, drop, you know, ultimately, you know, filled with the same dark humor and playfulness, but all, ultimately about just dropping viewers into the abyss and, and then rolling the credits. Uh, whereas I feel like this is a film that really wants to walk you right up to the edge of the abyss and then and then pull you back. I mean, almost literally in the whole bagel thing. But I don't know. I, it felt like, you know, a film that wanted to acknowledge some of the same, you know, dark absurdities as, as Charlie Kaufman, but not go there or at least go to maybe go to a different place than Kaufman's more recent films have, have gone. Yeah, that's for certain. I think one of the things you can absolutely say about the Daniels as filmmakers is that they're deeply humanistic and they like outrageous 
comedy. They like subversive, like over the top comedy. They like scatological comedy, but they also just have these these big messages that they want to get across. And they're very idealistic, humanistic messages. I want to talk a little bit more about that. uh, But first, we should take a break. So we'll be back right after this. Unless you can help me with my taxes. What is gross necklaces? I know you have a lot of things on your mind, but nothing could possibly matter more than this conversation we're having right now concerning the fate of every single world of our infinite multiverse. My dear Evelyn, I know you. With every passing moment, you feel you might have missed your chance to make something of your life. I'm here to tell you, every rejection, every disappointment has led you here to this moment. Don't let anything distract you from it. Looking at uh, China and Quan as as filmmaking partners over the course of the the years that I've been tracking them since I, I first met them at Tribeca with kind of some experimental projects they were doing. I just I see the same things coming up over and over again, like the the ideas of of possibility and just the the difficulty of being human, but the importance of sticking with it. Uh, did you guys see Swiss Army Man? Oh, yeah. Uh, I haven't yet, but I definitely I, I meant to. I meant to. I, I, I'm more enthused uh, to watch it now. Uh, oh, Scott, you what's should. your what's your take on that movie? I, I I liked it. I think it's. I mean, I think there's some. It, you know, it is. It's audacious and like. <laughs> and, and, I mean, and again, it has. You know, it goes really far on a limb, which is which is what this one does as well. I don't think it's. It seems narrower in ambition and maybe a little bit more of a um, limited premise i guess that one feels like almost like a throat clearing for this film don't you think or are you are no you... i i absolutely agree with you there for those who haven't seen it uh swiss army man has paul dano being washed up on a remote island and he has nothing to survive with except the corpse of daniel radcliffe which he comes to find out uh, can be used as a tool in a wide variety of ways how does it inc- move though how do you get it including to move on the water as a surfboard because uh-huh. yes. his decomposing body uh, expels so much flatulence yes. that he's basically his own outboard motor. <laughs> so Paul Dano and the corpse of uh, Daniel Radcliffe form a fast friendship and uh, have wacky adventures. And it's very much a a parody of kind of a specific type of, of twee indie movie, but just with like the outrageousness level uh, cranked up to 50 yeah. But this in the end, kind of the same humanistic messages, you know, the the same ideas about like human connection and and supporting and caring about each other that some of those twee indie movies might have. It just comes from a yeah, very Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's like it's not that distance from <laughs> from from a quirky indie movie. It is it is very much that. But you're right, I think you're right about their perspective on on the world is extremely optimistic, I would say. I would say more hard won optimistic. Yeah. I, I would say coming from a place of acknowledging acknowledging the darkness. Like everything everywhere all at once, I think, is a very dark movie in a lot of ways. Like kind of. It's but it's about kind of coming out of it and there's a lot of reconciliation and you know, there's good feelings. It's a, I think it's a, It takes a while to get there though, and also you know, also posits that these familial rifts that feel like they could destroy a, a, a universe actually could, which I think is kind of a, a neat, mm. uh, um, a neat touch. I saw very early in the film when the the concept of the multi-dimensional evil was revealed. It was just very clear to me that it was going to be her daughter, and I thought I was far ahead of the film and that we were going to spend an hour plus teasing that, which feels like the way a Marvel movie would have done it. And instead we find out like, uh, I don't know what feels like maybe three or four minutes later, the film is like, okay, you're smart. You figured this out. Let's just do it and see what falls out from it. And that's one of the things I love about the Daniels as filmmakers is they trust to the audience so much to pick up on all of these tiny little storytelling grace notes that aren't explained, that aren't spelled out, where you just you see somebody do something and it's significant, but they don't like bother to to tell you, hey, by the way, pay attention to this is important. They don't presume that you can't see these things coming up either. They assume that you're there and you just kind of want to move on with the story and that you can also just take in uh, everything everywhere all at once. So 
one of one of the many many reasons I love this movie is just like it operates like very few movies do. I think uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the World maybe is one. Being John Malkovich might be another that like operate at breakneck speed, but just completely trust the audience to keep up. Yeah, I I, I was pleased for that uh, uh, trust as I was struggling to keep up. Um, so uh, I, I, <laughs> uh, you know, though I did I did like that. It didn't feel like work, though. I I felt you know mentally like I was really hustling because because it, it was just exploding in all different directions at at once, and it's just it's hard to you know know the, the know the rules i suppose of a multiverse like this when those rules appear to be getting written and rewritten you know at every moment but uh but i think that that's ex- exciting it's a little like inception where where you have one scene explaining how everything works and then, <laughs> then three more scenes complicating what you've already learned you know yeah exactly and in terms of uh, uh like a film just kind of completely rewriting the rules of reality and then immediately running to play in that sandbox I think it's uh, like pretty mind-blowing in that sense. Going back to that idea of, of tiny details, I called this one out in my review because I just – I loved it so much as like a tiny little moment that doesn't get commented on. Evelyn's daughter, Joy, she wants to introduce her grandfather, uh, Gong Gong, who's played by James Hong, a man of literally 500 movies going back mm-hmm. to before the dawn of cinema itself. She wants to introduce her grandfather to the idea that she is a lesbian and that she has a girlfriend. And her mother, Evelyn, does not want her to do that because she's afraid that it will upset grandfather. And when she goes to try to do it anyway, there's a moment where the two of them are talking and she reaches over and and grabs her girlfriend's sleeves and rolls them down to cover her wrist tattoos. You know, she's she's got some pretty nice ink on her. And it's just very clear in that moment that even though they're not talking about it, one of the things Joy is doing is like looking at uh, her girlfriend, Becky, and thinking this is something else he's going to judge. This is something else about you that we need to hide. And it's not underlined. It's just this this moment of clear anxiety and seeing a, a bad future and trying to avert it. But also like an, an act of like self-abnegation, like self-destruction, because Joy has tattoos herself that she hides and is going to continue to hide from her family. I'm wondering if there's anything in the movie that that you guys saw that you had that kind of level of like respect for as like a storytelling note or a, a character moment. I'm just thinking about hot dog fingers. I'm sorry. <laughs> that was a really that's a really good question, but I'm just thinking about hot dog fingers. Um <laughs> I can't believe that the trailers give away the hot dog fingers. Like I, I avoided trailers for this like crazy, and it was a complete surprise for me in the theater. And when I when I saw a trailer afterwards, I was like, nope, that's all over the place. I could watch an entire movie with the rocks. I could like just the just <laughs> yeah. an entire thing with the with the rocks. That was uh, that touch that, that really delighted me. But in terms of like subtle touches, maybe that's maybe that's where the second viewing part kind of comes in tasha because i i felt like i'm just barely able to kind of like take in this movie on one viewing i did notice the thing that you talked about and i and i think it kind of speaks to something that again that that walter had written about in this review is just just the relationship between different generations within an immigrant family about the disappointment and, and resentment and disconnect from one generation to the next a feeling from Evelyn's, you know, on, on Evelyn's part, that she's, you know, that the joy is kind of lost to her. That lot, that she's kind of, you know, not that, that she's the her, her the, the the country that she's she's gone to has is is taken joy, you know, away basically. Uh, so all of that's there too. That these the sort of intergenerational tensions that are st- uh, tied specifically to you know, kind of the, the immigrant experience into, you know, assimilation and that sort of thing. One of the big aspects of that uh, immigrant experience is Evelyn's husband, Waymond, uh, played by Kihui Kwan, who longtime film uh, film watchers will remember as Short Round in Indiana Jones 2 and uh, Data in The Goonies. He's kind of been in and out of films, uh, like doing behind the scenes stuff. He was uh, an assistant director on Wong Kar Wai's 2046, for instance. But I, I just I found him to be a, like a revelation here. He mm-hmm. He's pretty amazing carrying the emotional heart of this movie 
doing some some pretty fun character work, some pretty fun stunt work, and just some some really interesting uh, code switching in a lot of different situations. Well, I think with it, we he was able to kind of evoke what we knew about him as an actor before. You know, I mean, th- there is kind of that ingratiating, silly, goofy quality that he brought to the to. Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom and to the Goonies, that that's certainly present in our kind of dorky fanny pack wearing, you know, <laughs> ineffectual Wayman, but but there's so much more dimension to this character and so many different looks that he's able to give us. And also he just feels like in a way, kind of the heart of the movie, even though obviously Michelle Yeoh and, and Evelyn, uh, I mean, she's the, she is the protagonist, but there's so much, he feels like such a guiding force for all, all that is kind of good and warm and decent and, and, you know, in this in this movie, you know, and then he can give you just moments of just silliness. He's a very, he's, he's a dad. He's a very much a, a movie dad in that respect. As, as someone else pointed, someone else pointed out, he, his voice still kind of sounds the same too, mm-hmm. you know, it's deepened a little, but it's, it still has the same inflections as as when he was a kid all of our four like major players here michelle yo stephanie sue as uh, her daughter joy james hong as her her father all four of them are given these roles where they have to change personalities and uh, like physical presences and and affects body language facial expression just like over and over like different forms of code switching and behavior switching it's a very demanding movie for actors and I think all four of them are fantastic. I think all four of them are a lot of fun. Yeah, as you said, the premise kind of allows them to give you so many different looks, and and, and also, you know, I, I you know I include Jamie Lee Curtis among that group too. I mean, I mean, she's not part of that family, but that's a very surprising, you know, and fun, and in the end, quite heartfelt performance as well. How do you even say it's possible to watch the entire film and not know it's <laughs> Jamie Lee Curtis? Yeah, yeah, very possible. Yeah, <laughs> one of your panelists here might have actually done that. <laughs> like, Is that oh, right? That oh, Curtis you're that, wow. Yeah, I, I, I was able I, to recognize, I, I recognize her, but yeah. Oh uh, yeah, not, I well, you're better than I am. I, the, the voice was is I don't know. They put her in a lot of makeup, but the voice is the same. I should have known, but but uh, yeah, no, I didn't get it. Oh wow, yeah, I, I it it surprised. It took me out of the film a little bit when I first recognized her, just because. Uh, I was actually wondering if that was I, I did not see the most recent Halloween. I have not kept up on her uh, her slasher film oeuvre. So um, I don't necessarily know what she looks like right now. I, I'm out, pretty positive. Knives Out was only a couple years ago. Years uh, ago. Good Lord. Was it? I th- Those yeah, were very yeah. those were a very eventful couple of years there, Scott. I don't remember anything <laughs> about the beforehand before time. <laughs> That's true. Right but yeah, she she also doing physical action and uh, high comedy and uh, like some very sweet drama. There's there's a lot of demands placed on everybody here. However, she does not have to stick anything up her butt, unlike uh, our unlike our action stars of, here. Couple, unlike a couple of gentlemen who uh, I I just. To th- even think about some of the stuff that this movie, th- like that specific thing, like how how do you even how do you uh, think about it, and then how do you execute it? There's a lot of just like really gross, like just like low humor in this movie, which is of course you know was the big you know hook with Swiss Army Man too. It's just like we can make a respectable art house movie out of you know some really really low comedy. And uh, and you'll respect us for it, which is which is you know true of this film as well, you know as it was with uh, Swiss Army Man. So one of the things the Daniels are most known before they made their first feature movies were doing some very distinctive music videos that also drew very very heavily on this kind of like transformational special effects. And probably the most memorable one is Turn Down for What, which features Daniel Kwan. Crotch slamming his way through a series of, uh, of ceilings and floors and infecting other people with a sexual rhythm that causes their clothes to fly off, causes them to uh, hump anything in sight wildly, causes their breasts to dance independently of each other. There's a lot of body part humor in their work. If you go look up their website, uh, they have a lot of their old music videos and, and short films. And if you watch your way through them, you will see a lot of butt stuff. A lot of like low humor mixed with high philosophy, a lot of special effects goofery like this. The short film Pockets remains one of my favorite short films. 
and also just like a really, really outsized experiment in like cheap special effects that are super, super effective. But they have a movie called Interesting Ball in which a, a cosmic event happens and causes all sorts of uh, bizarre things to happen. And one of those things is one of the Daniels getting sucked up the other one's butt. <laughs> Just in his entire body slowly disappearing up the other one's butt. So, yeah, a little obsessed with butts, I want to say. Who isn't, though? Come on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I asked them about that at the Chicago Q&A. I wish I tried to record uh, that Q&A because I know it'd be informative. They're incredibly smart people who talk in incredibly sophisticated ways about their films. And they they had a lot to say about, you know, their their love of lowbrow comedy, but also like why everybody thinks butts are funny. So, yeah, there's just there's a lot going on here in the swing between like highbrow thoughts and, and lowbrow humor. But one of the things that came out in that Q&A that I thought was really interesting was as far as the martial arts stuff goes here, like they're not like martial arts coordinators. They don't know a ton about it. So they got a fight club from Orange County kind of run by these two, the two guys that end up as uh, with trophies up their butts and mm. kind of turned over a lot of the martial arts action and coordination to them. They got a bunch of uh, special effects people who love working in, in After Effects and kind of handed a bunch of stuff over to them in terms of like, here are some frames, like do fun things with them, do what you love with them. And there's a lot of that throughout the film, just kind of putting things in the hands of people who know, know their work, know what they're doing. And there's like a, a bigger community aspect to this film than you might expect, given how coordinated it all is. Just in terms of it being a giant collaborative process. Yep. Yeah, I, I um, I, I was impressed by the fight sequences. Uh, the choreography is really strong and and compact. I mean, you know, you, you're you're really, you know, a lot of it. All of it is in the tax office. Uh, is there any? Are there any? I guess there may be some some action outside of the tax office, but not a lot though. I, I thought that was like one place where they saved some money was mm -hmm. just keeping it all in one location. Yeah, you just blow through cubicles and you know cork ceilings and that sort of thing. I thought that was all well 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 done, and 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 I think you can kind of keep it a little bit messy. You don't have to be slick. And I think it, it, you know the one thing this you know you mentioned the, the whole Charlie Kaufman thing. One thing that I th I think. The the Daniels the the look of this film reminded me so much of the way that Spike Jones's adaptation of Kaufman's work tended to look. I mean, there's something kind of unadorned about them, a little bit, a little kind of grimy and gritty and and real to sort of offset the you know absurdity and and, and wackiness of, of of the action um he's not put you know uh, it, you know because i mean we, we we can see through we could see through a lot of spike jones's music videos that he can put a quite a lot of spin on the ball with his um in terms of style but i think with kaufman i think he kind of understood that he needed you know to, to present a kind of a visual counter strategy and, and I feel like that's kind of a defining quality in this film um, in terms of the way it's, it looks and the way uh, the, those sequences are staged. I think it's, it's, for all the special effects in here, I think the thing it shares with those coffin things you reference is, is the ideas are the special or the real special effects in some ways. Oh, ideas are the really. Mm -hmm. I thought we saw human emotions. Yeah. Are the, I thought human emotions are the no, ultimate that's, special that's, effect. That's di that's different. That's something different. Um, <laughs> Well, that's what I sort of wanted to wrap up the solo conversation about this film with is like in the end, this is a very, as I say, it's a very humanistic film that's, that's built around these big messages, one of which is just a straight up Kurt Vonnegut uh, message, which is be kind to each other. You know, there, there's it's fundamentally life is meaningful because we make connections. Life is meaningful because we love each other. And the most important thing is just to be nice. And like those are messages that can be very trite, you know, that can yeah. come across as very surfacey. I really feel that the way this film earns them and expresses them, particularly with that rocks sequence, makes them land. But I feel like that's going to be maybe a, a bigger divider about this movie than the butt humor or the 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 rate at which it all goes is just like whether the emotional content in the end lands for individual viewers. So I'm I'm curious how that treated you guys. 
Yeah, I would say that would be kind of an issue for me a little bit. It lands for me, which is good. I mean, that's the, you know the, the emotions of it are earned. However, there is kind of a narrowing effect to all of it. Like like once all of the chaos starts to wind down, and once you're kind of getting into the getting back to these sort of you know individual moments, the the multiverse contracts and becomes dangerously close to trite. Uh, for for me, uh, uh, toward the end, while still being kind of affecting, uh, but I don't necessarily want to commit to that <laughs> suspicion, you know, because uh, it's a different vibe, I guess. The end than than you know, you're, you're no longer in this place where uh, of constant expansion and discovery. Um, you're you're really kind of getting down to the emotional nitty gritty of it, and and I I I don't necessarily want to kind of kind of condemn the film for being. A little simpler in the end than I expected it to be because I I don't maybe I'm yeah. maybe my reading is a little off. I see what you're saying, but also really admired something I referenced before, which was if it's in some ways it's making the biggest possible story and the smallest possible story, making them the same scale. I mean, this is okay. Look, it's, this is not Ulysses as much as I like this film, but there is a kind of Ulysses effect too, where like. You know, you have the 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 grand story of, of of you know of a Greek hero, and you have some guy walking around Dublin. But you know, there's a lot of connections between the two of them. Uh, there, you have the here this you know the universal's in peril. This uh, mother and her her daughter's relationship is in peril, and they're you know it puts them on you know it kind of lets them balance each other in, in a way that I think is really interesting. Yeah, I feel like just the emotional heart of this movie being all the ways this woman has failed herself and her daughter leading to gigantic cosmic destruction and a cosmic destruction that can only be solved by her finding a way to not fail her daughter. For me, that that does really land. I, I think Scott was the one that was talking earlier about how these personal crises that seem big enough to wreck the world in this case, can wreck the world. And I think that that's a way of looking at emotional pain that's just very, very harmonious, very sympathetic, very open to empathy and understanding how people feel. And then that ends up being the message as well, is be open to empathy and, and understand how people feel. It's like it's a little fractal concept that just kind of goes around and around and around in terms of what the movie is saying and how it's saying it sort of both being the same thing. So I just think that this movie is uh, really special. But I also think that Keith referenced to the fact that it's a movie about connections. And I think perhaps we should move along to connections about this movie and uh, Christoph Kozlowski's Blind Chance. connections when we bring these two films together and talk about all the things they have in common. I feel like the big thing is just here is just sort of the question between like what makes us us, you know, what makes us us from one possibility to the next one, one future, the next one choice to the next. And I feel like both of these movies kind of explore the idea of chance versus choice and the idea that the people around us influence us a lot. Coincidence influences us a lot. Maybe there's such a thing as fate that influences a lot. But both of them really kind of rely heavily on the idea that you make choices and each choice leads to a thousand new choices. And in one case, it's just kind of showing us three possibilities that are very different from each other, but all work within kind of the same milieu, the same time and place that it happens. The other blows it out to ridiculous proportions and, and uses it to fuel a whole lot of nonsense. But I mean, aren't fundamentally these both these movies both just kind of about being human is about being linear and making choices. But that means like abandoning a, a billion opportunities to be different at practically every moment. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing, one of the things I, th I guess I thought about with, both films is are those points where things split off you know where, where, where you know that those inflection points where where you know and, and of course it's in the in blind chance it's at the in the the, the train station of course is where where all of the three different possibilities emerge and here it's like in a, more than one spot really i mean because you think you know i mean obviously it's it's triggered by this audit 
that she has. And of course, what could be more symbolic than that of somebody, somebody, go, you know, getting an audit of their taxes, getting an having, in, of course, an audit of her uh, existence. So there's that. There's this. Po- there's this point where, as an adult, where she's kind of where everything is kind of falling apart for her. That's an inflection point. That's a point of action for her. And then, there, and then within that, you also have a point like when she decides to leave home uh you know and that that's something that's handled that, that we see circled back to more more, more than once uh, uh her leaving her potentially st- staying as well and in, in all of um the choices and all of the you know what what re- what how reality changes based on that specific moment yeah i almost get the sense that every is we're really dealing with uh quantum physics <laughs> here where every choice she's made almost branches it seems like it branches off and forms another universe you know it's almost like you know with with blind chance you get you know these three pathways and with everything everywhere all at once you get like just fractal that gets more complex with each <laughs> each layer or something uh it, it's it's uh it's, it's a it's sort of a wild running with the, with the ball from the blind chance idea I think it's interesting that with blind chance, like all three of his possible futures are pretty buttoned down. You know, he's very much in this time and place and in the time of life that he's in specifically, like he's not going to turn into a a man with hot dog hands based on whether he can catch a, a train or not. He's just a, you know, 20 something who's trying to decide who he's going to have sex with and who he's going to hang out with, how he's going to spend his time, like where he's going to, his aim is focus. But in everything, everywhere, we get this message that like, if she just made different choices, if she'd navigated her interests a slightly differently, she would have been a famous worldwide movie star. Like, I don't know, Michelle Yeoh. I, I think it's really fun how that, possibility universe like both encompasses Wong Kar Wai and encompasses like her actual life as a like a world-class celebrity but there is just a a very different uh, idea of scale in these two movies in terms of how far you might go based on the specific choices you make and I think one of them is very practical to very practical ends and one of them is very impractical to very comedic ends but in the same I, you know, in this at the same time, Evelyn sees that other possibility she could have and and becomes a little obsessed with it. And I can't help but wonder if uh, Vitek had had the same opportunity to look at his other possibilities, if he would have become obsessed with like that one being the good one because of you know some aspect of it, and wishing as she does that he could like jump into that world. The one where he blows up on the plane, though. I mean, probably <laughs> not so much. One so- <laughs> well, there, but I think there's a. I mean, that's a crucial difference between the two movies is that, of course, Wittek doesn't. Is like, we as the audience are aware of these options uh, for him and the, the way things could could have gone, and and uh, you know everything everywhere. She's made aware of these possibilities too. I mean, like like that that those are things that she now gets to have access to and in a, in a, in a, which which it makes for a much much different experience you know on top of the you know there's not a lot of, not a lot of uh kung fu or hot dog fingers or or <laughs> or talking rocks or or anything like that in uh blind chance blind chance not in as, the not universes as funny. we see in the, yeah. in the universes we see, yeah. yes. That is yeah. true. We do not get to see what uh, what it's like in the universe where VTech and his various possible lovers are just rocks sitting around. I mean, do, do you, what would you take, though, I guess, as... I mean, I, I think we can agree that the, the, the Daniels have, you know, ultimately an optimistic view of, you know, humanity and, and, and the possibilities of, of being human, but... Where, where where do you think Kieslowski is? Uh, if you watch a film like Blind Chance, I mean, it, it is because uh, I, I don't necessarily think I fall. I don't feel feel like it's a wholly pessimistic movie, Blind Chance, but it's definitely darker <laughs> in terms of like you know. I, I don't think any of the three outcomes for Wittek are uh, all that appealing. It feels like he wants you to contemplate it more than to draw conclusions from it in some ways otherwise or the only conclusion i can draw from from blind chance is that you know it doesn't matter you know we we our choices don't don't matter in some ways or our personality is is such that 
you know, we, what we think of as ourselves is actually just an illusion. And, and I don't know, I, I don't, I think I'm taking it further than the film, you know, really wants me to, I think it's more of a, 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 let's think about the, the, the cosmic implications of this, but um, I don't know. He's not going to tell you. I think the Daniels will tell you what to think. That is very fair. But Kozlowski is not. Yeah. Very much a uh, a choice that uh, is being offered you. Yeah. Dennis Lim did this essay for Criterion that's on the Criterion Channel website associated with Blind Chance, where he talks about, like, his answer to that question is that Kozlowski is a cynic and mm. that he's expressing his cynicism about like politics, about connection, about relationships, uh, about maybe choices uh, in and of themselves. But I don't know. At the same time, I think there's also a certain idealism in Blind Chance that suggests we have the the ability to do a lot to determine our futures and we have the ability to make changes based on our choices. Like certainly that first time through VTech makes a, a big difference for that asylum full of protesters. You know, he potentially saves a lot of lives there. And we don't get to see how something like that comes out without him. You know, there's no it's a wonderful life moment where we get to find out what happens to the people that he doesn't save, that he's not there for. Mm. Lim might be right, because that's what I kind of that's the reading I, I kind of keep resisting. But I think my Resistance has a lot more to do with Kozlowski's other work, which I do not see as cynical. Uh, not that it's all cheery or, or you know, uh, or, or whatever, but but it's it, it, nothing quite. There's nothing quite this uh, fatalistic and dark in the in the in the other Kozlowski films I've seen. I, yeah, it I doesn't think end in, with a plane exploding. <laughs> yeah, I think maybe an well, interesting I mean, thing yeah, to navigate in in asking that question is that. Kieslowski and, and Kwan have both talked about how religious faith was very important to them, uh, but also just a very private thing. Like Kieslowski was a believer. And I think w the way we see the second life play out in Blind Chance, where, you know, in the first one, Vitek talks about how he doesn't understand how anybody could follow religion when it's so destructive. But in the second one, he meets somebody who's strengthened by her faith. And he listens as she talks very persuasively about what it means to her. And eventually he takes it up himself. Mm. And like, I, I feel like there's a very strong Christian thread flowing through blind chance that accepts that religion can be a very supportive and helpful thing for people. And Quan is also coming from a background like that where religion was important to him. And I think some of the idealism we see in the Daniels work comes from that belief. That's something we expressly talked about in uh, in an interview, he and I, just in terms of how he himself personally navigates that struggle between cynicism and idealism. I think that that's something that both of these movies share and both of these filmmakers share. Yeah. So the one interesting point of contrast here has to do with the, the the structure of the films. I mean, we, we you there is a kind of there even though Blind Chance is a little deliberately rough around the edges. You know, it's not neatly divided into three sections. You do have a, a prelude, and then you, you the first segment in the is larger than the second, which is I think slightly larger than the third, etc. It does have a structure, and it does allow you to compare quite cleanly. Uh, the dividing lines between those three different fates, you know, one in which one in which Vitek is a communist, another where where he's a rebel of sorts, uh, and another where when he's just leading a normal, apolitical, conventional life. Everything everywhere tries, even though it it has all of these different as a multiverse, it has different you know fates, different possibilities, different timelines for Evelyn. That isn't necessarily worked into the fabric of the film in quite so clearly demarcated a way. There's much more of a sense of spontaneity, I suppose, to the way that the film unfolds that, that isn't really true of Blind Chance, which, which I think is Blind Chance just feels like a demonstration of a theme. And everything everywhere is a little bit um, more, I, I, a little wilder, a little, little deliberately rough around the edges. I feel like one of the places that wildness comes from is the decision to show you that 
everybody has all of these branching timelines individually. Like Blind Chance is pretty focused in on Vitek's experience. And I don't think it at all means to suggest that he's unique. I, I think he's more meant to be representational. And I think in particular, the the third story where we see at the airport some of the people that have been important in his life and they're very clearly leading different lives. I don't think that's necessarily because of him. I think that the implication is just that everybody makes choices. Everybody deals with blind chance. Everybody is on all of these different tracks. And maybe the reason that everything everywhere feels so you know, joyously messy. Like I, I agree that it's messy, but I think it's deliberate and fun. Is that we get to see that Waymond has a lot of different uh, possibilities himself. That mm. uh, Gong Gong even has different possibilities. That Joy has infinite possibilities and reacts to them very different than other people do. So I think both of these films suggest that like the multiverse is just kind of like a universal constant for everybody. Everybody has all of these choices to navigate and like these these messy worlds to live in. It's just that one of them mostly focuses in on one person and only hints at the rest of it. And the other one like openly explores the rest of it. I think there's, if there's one one other thing that unites these films beyond their construction is a sense that n- really nobody – influences you as much as your parents. I mean, for Vitek, it's, it's it's really trying to either live up to what his dad wants him to be or rebel against it or to find a new dad who would tell him who he should be. And in, you know, everything, everywhere, all at once, it's it's both Evelyn's dealing with, with, with her issues with her father, she's dealing with issues with her daughter, and they're, they're not the same issues, but at the same time, but they're related in many ways. And it's kind of a sense of, of one generation repeating what the other has has done. So, I, you know, parents are all over these movies. Are parents kind of central to the, to the multiverse? I think parents are central to the choices we make, whether those parents were mm. very present in our lives or completely absent or somewhere, you know, in between. I think one of the things we see a lot of in Blind Chance is that, you know, his dad did influence and shape him. But at the same time, there's just sort of a sense of whatever you're indoctrinated with, you're you're more likely to take as truth. Like when Vitek takes up Werner as his kind of replacement dad and ingests all of these ideas about communism and, and the value of it and why it's important, he takes in a whole bunch of messaging that he just accepts as true, you know, because it comes from his new father figure. And I think in the same kind of way, like – a lot of joy is joylessness. You know, it's it's a very ironic name she's carrying around. But a lot of her feelings about life either come from her mother's handling of her, which in some ways is, uh, you know, very distanced and disappointed, or just from seeing how distanced and disappointed her mother is herself. You know, her mother having imagined a lot of different lives for herself that didn't carry out. I think Joy looks at her and sees just the failure of possibility and is like depressed and disheartened by all of the ways Evelyn has failed herself and the the implication that Joy will similarly kind of fail herself. I think there's kind of two models here, like what our parents teach us and what we learn from watching them that they don't intend us to learn necessarily. Yeah, I guess there's a lot of um, push and pull, I guess. So that, that those, the, those, you know... <laughs> Every every child is going to have to use as kind of a jumping off point that relationship uh, with 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 their parents of so w- whether they are going to be, you know, influenced and, and, and guided and inspired by, by a parent or whether they're going to want to go in their own direction or re- reject completely the uh, the life or, or the I- ideas that the parent might might be wanting to impose. On them, and so, and that is an important point, and it, and it is, it is, you know, an inflection point in those in both of these movies, and in in uh, you know the, the father's death and in, in, in blind chance, and then what we know, for example, of of um, of Evelyn and, and her decision to leave home when she did, and, and what what the significance of that was, and, and where that you know led her life ultimately. Yeah, her- it made me feel good watching these movies that I have made no mistakes as a father. <laughs> yeah, everything's uh, going really well so far. Yeah. So so far, so good. Yeah. Yeah. Wait till you both find out that your uh, daughters are the central nexuses of uh, giant multiverse collapses. <laughs> they're going to get in the nose ring. They're going to be like Dominique Swain and face off. They're going to get they're gonna all 
punk they have a punk phase with their little uh with their all their makeup and their nose rings and uh want nothing to do with us tattoos that they will hide under their sleeves yeah exactly yeah, it's it's certainly significant that Joy's disappointment in her mother and desire to break from her is mirrored by Evelyn's disappointment in her father and attempt to break from him. Although he rejected her first in a pretty definitive way. And, you know, in, in return, she seems to kind of reject her daughter and, and see her daughter as someone she should push away because she's again, she's modeling perhaps unintended uh, behaviors or modeling behaviors that were not meant to be illustrative. And, and maybe it's a thing where, you know, if, you, if you're disappointed with the way things have gone for your, your life and you want the best for your kid, then you push them away. You don't want them, anything, <laughs> they, you don't want anything, they, you don't want them to, to be sucked into your crappy uh, timeline on the multiverse. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. There may be just sort of a sense and we may get the same thing from Vitek's father and his like clear attempt to keep his son at a distance. Yeah, don't make this don't make the same mistakes I did. Wow. Yeah, that's a, a big in 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 a pair of movies that we've discussed a lot about, like whether they're inherently idealistic or, or cynical. Like that is a pretty big point of both cynicism and idealism. You know, my life is terrible is a is kind of a cynical thought. My life is terrible and unrecoverable is a cynical thought, but I can help you by rejecting you so you go do something else is like a cynical idealist thought, essentially. Yeah. That's galaxy brain cynicism right there. <laughs> well, I think uh, Everything Everywhere is, is pretty, uh, pretty galaxy brain movie making. And, uh, you know, compared to compared to like the speed and ambition it operates at, uh, Blind Chance may look pretty, pretty like small and uh, and calm, but it's like galaxy brain thinking for its era as well. This just isn't a concept that that like I've seen before in other films that Kozlowski came to in terms of how to tell a story, like how to crack open a universe into possibilities. Well, he's not alive, but he should be getting all the royalties for all of these all of these films that he's influenced. I love the idea of uh, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness having a uh, credit for Christoph Kozlowski for coming up with the idea of the multiverse. <laughs> I'm sure he'd love it. If you were alive, he would love it. I'm sure he would love it. <laughs> well, he'd probably love the money because it would enable him to you know, launch into his next 20 film project. Yes. Well, you can see many of uh, Kieslowski's many film projects on the Criterion channel. Um, Blind Chance is available for rent on Amazon, on Vudu, on many other streaming services digitally. It's also streaming on the Criterion channel. It's available on Criterion DVD and Blu-ray. Everything Everywhere All at Once is currently in theaters. That's it for this edition of The Next Picture Show, but we'll be back next week with new pairing. Uh, Scott, can you set us up for our next episodes, which are releasing on April 26th and May 3rd? Tasha, you must be talking to someone on a different timeline or something, uh, because I'm the one who will be telling you about our next pairing. On the next two episodes of The Next Picture Show, we'll be looking at two films featuring four Nicolas Cage's. First, we'll discuss Adaptation, a 2003 film written by Charlie Kaufman and directed by Spike Jones, in which Cage plays a writer's block-afflicted screenwriter named Charlie Kaufman and also his less self-conscious brother, Donald. Then we'll jump cut to 2022 to discuss the unbearable weight of massive talent in which Cage plays Nick Cage, a slightly down-on-his-luck movie star, and also a younger version of himself who's a little disappointed at the choices he's made. Yes, as resident Cage expert, I'll be hosting this one. For now, we welcome your feedback on Blind Chance, Everything Everywhere All at Once, and anything else film-related you'd like to talk about. Email us at comments at nextpictureshow.net and come talk to us on Patreon, where you'll find feedback letters and discussion. Before we close out this week's episode, where can we find everyone these days? Scott? Uh, Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Scott underscore Tobias. You can find my work in the New York Times, uh, Guardian, uh, Vulture, and uh, uh, primarily on uh, The Reveal, the newsletter I run uh, with Keith Phipps. Um, the the Twitter uh, page for that is at Movies Reveal, and the site is uh, thereveal.substack.com. Keith? I also think you should check out the reveal at thereveal.substack.com, uh, where you'll find my writing next to Scott's. Um, you can also find me on Twitter at kphipps3000. You can find my writing at places like GQ, The Ringer, 
TV Guide and Vulture. You can sometimes find it in checkout stands of your grocery store at Entertainment Weekly Special Editions, uh, which is a, a fun thing. Uh, I also have a book uh, called uh, Age of Cage, uh, which is about the Nicholas, films of Nicolas Cage, uh, Changes in Hollywood. It, it is in bookstores now uh, and also available on Amazon.com. You know, if, you want, if you're interested, read it. Yeah. I'd like it. That'd be great. Uh, Tasha, how about you? I am the film and streaming editor at Polygon.com, where you can find my writing about uh, various forms of pop culture. I'm on Twitter at Tasha Robinson. Our absent co-host Genevieve is on Twitter at Genevieve Kosky, and she is the TV editor at Vulture.com. You can stay updated on The Next Picture Show at nextpictureshow.net and on Twitter at nextpicturepod. You can get bonus content and open discussion at patreon.com slash nextpictureshow. And as always, we appreciate your ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. Thanks to Dan the Bake Jakes for his assistance in producing this podcast. The Next Picture Show is proud to be part of the Film Spotting family of podcasts. Please tune in next time. It's really not that crazy. <laughs> We're not that crazy. A couple of mammals making gravy. Right? Together, you and me. A multi-species team, we're a family, culinarily. Now we're cooking, while nobody's looking. Yeah, we're family, culinarily. Rakakuni, I don't know what I'd do without you. Yeah, we make a pretty good team.